0: Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. This is Reality Check Radio. How many of you have ever thought we could grow tropical fruit in New Zealand? (laughs) I didn't think so. Um, I thought we'd have to be at the equator for that. But maybe there's an industry in it that we can do really well with tropical fruit growing in New Zealand uh, we were curious we wanted to find out more and the person to go to to find out more is Hugh Rose from the Tropical Fruit Growers of New Zealand and he joins us. Hugh welcome to Reality Check Radio thanks for coming in.
1: Lovely to be here Paul thanks for inviting me.
0: Okay am I like the uh, average person you talk to when you're on the subject that uh, you know totally ignorant as to what can be grown in you know when you think of the category of tropical fruit uh, in this country. Uh, I was completely ignorant of that.
1: Well, I'm really delighted to say, and I'm going to use that term, people are waking up to the fact that uh, New Zealand um, has and can grow really good quality tropical, or what's considered tropical fruit. Reality, they're subtropicals. And by that, I'm talking about bananas, pineapples, sugarcane, pawpaw, to name but a few. Even mangoes can be grown in New Zealand, provided you put a cover over them. Wow. Well, whereabouts you where can we do this where you've got maximum sunshine uh, we could take a leaf from iceland's book because iceland does not import bananas they actually grow their entire crop rec- requirement you're kidding you're kidding. No, no. you <laughs> see they've got thermal activity new zealand's got thermal activity so they've got one advantage of us they get about six months of sunshine but even so you know you can imagine an insulated tunnel house With thermal underneath, yeah, and plenty of sunshine. Yeah, imagine places like Alexandra. Um, No reason why they couldn't be growing pineapples and bananas and all sorts of things down there. It's just thinking outside the box.
0: Okay, so you went through um, quite a few there. So bananas. Yep. And you mentioned Iceland. So you could really put bananas with different ways of growing them. You could grow them kind of as far south as you were saying. Okay,
1: Without- to help you help you in the education about bananas, the most common one we get from the supermarkets is called a Cavendish variety. Yeah, there's lots of variations of the Cavendish. But would you have any idea where that banana was developed? Well, it sounds sort of, you know, UK. Well, yeah, absolutely correct. It was developed at Kew Gardens, London, by yeah, Sir William Cavendish. Huh? Didn't know that. Okay, yeah, so go. it's actually an, it's a British banana. <laughs> yeah, it's a palm, like me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been here a long time, though. So have they. Um, so those original bananas, I mean, the ones we eat are generally accepted as being hybrids or cross or mules. They cross between two wild species, and that produces um, a banana which is seed-free, ideally seed-free, otherwise we break our teeth, and um, very tasty. The only trouble is, because they've got no seeds, the only way to propagate is by um, cutting off a stem from the parent plant, because they... they produce prolific stems. So you cut the stem off and you replant that. So every banana is a clone of its mother or daughter, or whatever you like to call it. And having said that, the darn things will adapt to the environment they find themselves in. So the New Zealand has been a Noah's Ark over the years. Before we invented biosecurity, people were bringing in bananas and the oldest recorded one I've got, and I'm not saying it's the oldest, but the oldest recorded one I've got was planted in 1890, in a place called Kohukohu up north. Wow. Now, that's, a, that's a long time to be growing, a clump of bananas, and they're still growing. That clump's still there. I found out about it, went up and thinned it out because it needed to thin. And, of course, uh, yeah, that's added to my collection. I'm, I am a collector, by the way, for anyone who's out there um, think they might have something different. I'm always interested. Like
0: like a banana collector.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's how oh. I started. That's that's uh, really cool. Well, I, I I better just explain that I how I got into this was originally looking at bananas as being heavy feeders of nitrates and phosphates, and with all the bad news for dairy farmers and me being a, a dairy beef farmer, which is slightly different, um, I was thinking, well, why can't we grow bananas to suck up the nitrates and phosphates that are going into the waterways and Technically, I'm highly correct in what I'm saying. Um, every dairy farmer in Northland certainly should have bananas planted around their effluent ponds. You know, um, the liquid, which is full of nitrates and phosphates, is just banana candy. They just thrive so <laughs> well. They just grow, mate. They grow. But the best thing is the whole part of the plant is edible as far as stock and people are concerned. So- Man, th- this sounds like the perfect thing. Well, there's many perfect things. You know, this is it. We've got to think outside the square because, as I say, a banana, every part of it is basically edible. Um, As a stock feed, it rivals the best Northland pastures. It betters them. Eighteen and a half tonne of dry matter per annum from a hectare of bananas. Now, most Northland pastures, the good stuff is sitting at 14.2 tonne of dry matter. So, yeah, the only thing is you couldn't have a field of bananas and put the cows in because they would chew it down roots and all, a bit like a turnip. They would just they decimate the plant. But if you've got them and you, instead of importing palm kernel, you can just go in with your machete, load up your trailer and dump it over the fence to the cows. And the cows will tell you they love it. They will just chew every last carrot you give them. I think you've sold
0: me already, Hugh. Good. Just ma'am. on that. And we've only been talking <laughs> I'll take about the order. <laughs> five minutes. The, the way you talk about it, I can see. Where the enthusiasm comes from, because talking about cleaning up nitrates around effluent ponds and I guess water sources on farms or, or water courses, you know, is that something that you can make a real impact on I mean, or to suck up a little or, or a lot? Yeah, well, I mean- okay, there's,
1: there's, there's downsides to everything. I was talking earlier about the lack of pests in New Zealand. We actually do have a pest. It's called a pukeko, and most farms have them wandering around. And pukeko's are lovely little birds. So they're super smart and intelligent and eating bananas is a learned thing. Now we're not talking about them climbing the stalks and peeling the fruit. They will eat the whole damned plant. Right. So once yeah. they learn. Now I I will hasten to add uh, my property is known as Land of the Lotus, so I've got water plants, I've got pukekos and I've got literally hundreds and hundreds of bananas. I've never had a banana eaten by a pukeko, but I have seen what happens when they learn and they tell their mates and? They yeah, I was going to decimate. say they pass it on, right? <laughs> they decimate. They that's more than decimate. Decimate means ten. No, they wipe it out. They they yeah. wipe out. I I have seen a plantation wiped out by pukekos. And,
0: and once they I learn, learn that down. there's no going back, right? They're they're in well, all the time.
1: lead lead poisoning fixes that problem, but you have to get permission, of course, from Fish and Game, which is uh, just a, a delay. Yeah, but you don't want to be
0: poisoning them. There must be some other way of. Managing that is there. No, I mean, they're being poising, creative with this. They must be another... run
1: of speeding bullet. <laughs> so, sorry, I was talking over you. Say that again. <laughs> I said lead poisoning is when they're trying to outrun. The oh, speed uh, bullet. I said duh. Yeah,
0: okay. Well, okay, all right. But okay. but again, they're paying with their lives. That seems so sad. I, I wonder if there's <laughs>
1: another well, way to go. Smart. They're a smart creature. Believe me, they learn very quickly. That's out of bounds, and so they. Oh, do. well, that might. Yeah, that might help.
0: A few take one for the team, and then they all know.
1: That's exactly how it works. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: So-, so a farmer in the situation you've described could really make an impact in such mm-hmm. a simple way. This is simply.
1: Oh, totally, totally. Around the effluent field. I'm not suge- so I'm not suggesting for one moment they plant their stream beds with you know that would just be impossible to maintain yeah, right. weed maintenance, flood damage, all the rest of it. But around yeah. the effluent fields, or just creating a an area where all the fluid goes. Um, below the, what they call the number two settling pond off a typical dairy shed is the place you put your bananas. And then you've got a, um, a store of literally cattle feed for the winter months. Uh, when you're buying Palm Kernel, stop buying Palm Kernel and just use your bananas. Well, how much could that save you? I'm really trying to nail down the advantages. I'm not sure of the current price of Palm Kernel. Dairy farmers will know it, but it's a hell of a lot.
0: Yeah, so and also not- if you if you're getting your bananas for nothing, and you can do it in the quantity yeah. needed, then then yeah. you can take that cost out of your business expenses.
1: Oh, and, and if you're and if you're growing as a cattle feed, um, uh, you know, and to wipe up, uh, you know, overspool from the effluent field, what you're ending up with is uh, a, a very easy um, management plan because there's literally nothing to do. You just let the bloody things grow.
0: You just watch them from the veranda. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So give us an idea of how much um, banana product is consumed in a country like New Zealand. We're not a very big country, but it's, you know, I know it's a popular commodity.
1: Well, it Um, is fractionally under 80 million kilos, 80 million kilos of bananas per year. Every adult woman and child, on average, this is the average, consumes eighteen kilos of bananas a year.
0: Eighteen, okay. Well, I've had bananas in smoothies, the last four days. Cool. So I'm having it you're a good every customer.
1: day. <laughs> yeah, but it's all mashed. Don't bother. Customer,
0: we'll keep you on. <laughs> yeah, you can sign me up. So yeah, we're eating them. So many of us, and that figure, 80, 80 million kilos. Was that what you just really? said?
1: So, And what we've planted out so far in Northland now, though I might be chair, I'm not an expert on where everything's planted. I believe there's about 100 hectares of effective commercial bananas grown. Well, anybody with a calculator can soon work out that's a drop in the bucket. We're not meeting anywhere near the requirements. All I can say is our bananas, if they're of good quality, go to the local farmers markets and they're usually sold within the first couple of hours.
0: Wouldn't you, if you're a supermarket chain, also create a category of New Zealand bananas and start promoting enough, we them? Because it, to,
1: we honestly don't have enough to supply. There, there's one or two go-to. No, no,
0: but if, 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 if the scale
1: was there and, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Totally, totally. If yeah. the scale was there, not a problem at all. We get a better price for New Zealand bananas because A, they're spray-free, B, they're denser and more nutritious, and C, no food miles. And no, that's true. Yeah, free, that... no food miles, they've not been irradiated or gassed on arrival. Is that because, because we don't no have such... the pests? Yeah. There's right. no such thing as an imported organic banana. It might be organically grown, but as soon as it hits our shores, it's organic, organic no longer. We can actually supply true organic bananas in New Zealand.
0: So the volume from that 100 hectares that you talked about, which is uh, yeah. what, carrying bananas right now, what would that, the value of that equate to. So I'm just okay. trying to, to get an idea of, you know, scaled up, you know, how big is the potentially the industry?
1: We actually need to plant about 64,000 hectares.
0: Right. Okay, it was a lot more than 100. <laughs> yeah.
1: But have we got the land? Of course we've got the land. In, in the, the right the places. Nice, the nice, yeah, the nice interesting thing about bananas. Now, the other thing I, I, I will say is at the moment we're planting out country with pine trees, which could just as easily be planted out with bananas. Right. And a banana grows a dance faster and basically consumes at dance more carbon than any pine tree ever will do. But Hugh, the pine tree lobby is way more powerful than the banana lobby. Exactly, exactly. So it's a political decision. I did ask uh, the ministry um, if they would consider uh, bananas for carbon credits, but uh, the answer was no. <laughs> Based on? Based on it's not on their list. No logic, no rhyme. You see, this is the handbrake
0: effect that, that people get like me get really grumpy with. Why wouldn't you consider it's, it's just another biological sort of plant. So what's the diff if it does the same well, job?
1: Yeah. due respect Paul Northland farmers have been talking about farming totra as a native species that grows as fast as a pinus radiata um, and probably easier um, to be used as a commercial crop and uh, basically the breaks there. No, no, special permits and this and that. And- well, because
0: of, okay, so is it because it's the tree that it is? It's um, like has some other sort of relevance to people?
1: To me, to- Totra is just a pine tree. It's a wilding pine half the time because it just pops up everywhere.
0: But it's a native. Why it's would, well, it why would be you a native, not- but it
1: still, still pops up everywhere. <laughs> yeah,
0: but so, so you're saying that uh, the people want to farm those or grow those instead of pine, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah, And then, for some reason, they
1: say no. A tree's yeah. a blooming tree, right? Right, I agree. Now, I'll give you the classic situation. I bought a block of land that was used prior to our purchase as a hunting block. It was just purely scrub land. It, it's only just under 60 acres. It uh, was running around 18 cattle. and uh, That's what we bought. And we bought it deliberately to plant uh, a variety of tropical or subtropical fruits and plants. Um, we've now turned it over, um, I won't go into the exact figures, but a huge little business, a little my-and-par operation. But as I say, the turnover is phenomenal. Um, we have a lot of total trees growing naturally around the property, and we've trimmed those in the hopes that one day the government might change its mind. But the fact of the matter is, unless it's for our own use or for firewood, we cannot make use of those total trees. I don't get that. I, I really don't get that. If we wish to mill them, we'd have to apply for a permit, and that, that doesn't cost you anything. But you still have to apply for the permit, which involves a, a visit from the ministry. And the milled timber, I could not sell it. I could only utilise it on my own property. Well, what would the visit be about then? Well, to make sure I'm genuinely—I um, don't know—to to make sure it is generally what I'm doing, you know. <laughs> well, <What, what? laughs> sawing up timber. Oh, yeah, bugger. but the, the joke of it is, I can saw up native timbers all over the place on my property as firewood and sell it as firewood, but I cannot sell it as a New Zealand timber. Now, now why do you think that is? Hey, like many farming issues, Paul, it is beyond my comprehension. Stupidity. Well, it doesn't it, make
0: any sense to me, I can tell you. It's, yeah. uh, unless there's something I mean, we don't know about their attitude to torture trees or natives that they cannot ever be commercialised or something.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's just, it's just a different mindset. You know, for some reason, we're not allowed to do this because somebody says we can't do this. And I'm saying, well, hang on, that tree's now reached its use by day, It's going out as firewood, but it's a shame it couldn't be used as timber. Well, yeah. Anyway, we're back to
0: tropicals. Back no, to they, gardens, no, that, so- that, but that was an interesting little journey yeah. up, up that yeah. little side road. Okay, so we're... Yeah. <laughs> I think we've, we've talked about bananas. Yep. What else?
1: What about pineapples? Absolutely pineapples. Now, there is a gentleman. He came from South Africa, and he's my guru. Um, I'll, I'll drop his name, Owen Owen Sheffley. He did appear on Country Calendar, and I got a cameo appearance there as well. Owen has successfully bred pineapples up to the stage now where he has, and he probably correct me because I'm probably wrong, but I think it is 60,000 plants and, and growing. Okay. Now, what happens, basically, it's uh, your plant material doubles pretty much each year. And so each year, he is able to expand his empire. And the plant he is concentrated on is called a queen. It's not one you see often in the shops, but it is super sweet. It is absolutely to die for. Liquid sunshine is how I'd describe it. I should see if I can get some to you and you'll know what I mean. Oh, that'd um, be great. Feel free. Basically, basically the um the, the the core is totally edible. There's no stringy bits. It is sweet as. Anyway, Owen has developed that. That's his passion. What about size, Hugh? Uh, Normal size? Um, The first ones of the season will usually be about half a kg in um, size. He actually sells small, medium, and large at the market. And as the season progresses, the fruit gets bigger and bigger okay so he will be up to one and a half and I think just under two kg the biggest he's done so far that's quite a big pineapple
0: mm, it's a big pineapple It's a heavy there's yeah. one heavy pineapple right there yeah so pineapples they get bigger through the season again can we do that at good scale where there's an industry absolutely. behind it
1: absolutely now the the way to grow pineapples is almost identical to um, the way they grow cumers okay the only difference is the pineapple is a uh, spiky little bream, bromeliad that grows above ground, or kuma grows below ground. But pineapples love free-draining soil. They like a rich uh, soil. They like acidic soil. So New Zealand is predominantly acidic soils. Mm. We've got lots of peaty soils and other things. So it's absolutely, New Zealand really lends itself to pineapple production. So anybody who's currently growing kuma who might be listening should be tapping Owen on the shoulder and saying, hey, I want to get into this. Can you make more out of the pineapple? Uh, you know, um, per kilo. Well, there's a, there's a bigger market for bananas than there is for pineapples. We've, no, no, like,
0: for kumara. For those who are doing kumara at the moment, looking at it as an alternative. Oh or a mix. God, they make
1: far more money, far more money, <laughs> <laughs> way more money. Yes, yes. Um, if you want to know, you can plant roughly forty-four thousand plants per hectare of pineapples. Okay. Yeah. Um, they would retail. Um, between five and ten dollars on the current market and i can assure you that owen goes to the market at six o'clock and he's sold out by seven that's about 160 k's worth at five dollars a kilo Uh,
0: unless my math is off it probably is okay and 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 what what size um area is that uh, that you get the forty four thousand plants on one hectare one hectare crikey one hectare
1: yeah can I just give you a little thing? Because I used to be a beef farmer, right? And, and on a beef farm, you, you're generally looking at getting one, maybe lucky, two animals per yeah. acre. So, sorry, that's uh, so that's uh, five per hectare. So, you know, and you might make 500 bucks per animal per year. So in a good, good year, you're making two and a half grand.
0: <laughs> yeah, compared to, cracking. It's, it's an order of magnitude way. It's yeah. X, what, X... 10, 20, 30. Okay. So, uh, and again, enough land to, I mean, if you're doing all the other things too, there's still enough land around to yeah, do land. I will
1: say, Paul, high profitability, but high overheads as well, because you need to keep your um, land weed free. Okay. Now you can mechanize. That's why I'm saying with pineapples, you mechanize it the same way as you do kumra. So you keep, uh, keep the weeds down between the rows exactly the same, same way as you do. Well, they're
0: already you. geared for that in that case.
1: They're, that's what I'm saying. They're already geared for it. So they're the ideal people who should be looking at it.
0: Okay. And I think also um, people think that only, you know, Kumara only grows in the north, but that's not the case, is it? History,
1: historically. Has shown us, yeah. Historically. Yeah. If you go down to Cape Palliser, so you can see the old Kumara beds and kumra pits there where they used to store their Kumara. Even as far south as Rangiora used to have Kumara. So what does that tell us? Um, climate change is a real thing, mate. <laughs> you mean it's got colder? <laughs> uh, yes unfortunately it has i'm i'm, I'm really yeah, but that wasn't powered by
0: carbon emissions you
1: well i think ian wishart's doing a lovely job of destroying the car you know the the co2 myth um uh, to me uh I, I grow plants and i know plants you could quite happily double the current level of atmosphere any greenhouse grower worth his salt will tell you he's got a co2 generator producing co2 to make his plants grow
0: well, they don't want people to know that, I don't think, um, otherwise <laughs> they lose their uh, go-to uh, scary yeah. thing. Okay, so that's pineapple. Have we finished with pineapple? Can we go on to another yeah, if one? Yeah, like, yep. Okay, so something a bit more, less New Zealandy. y pawpaw or mango.
1: Yeah, yeah, mango. Um, the Mango's basically growth uh, is the same as an avocado. So if you can grow an avocado, you can grow a mango. They're frost tender, in other words, in their early years. But once they reach about uh, three to five years, they're ready to start fruiting and they're an extremely robust, tough plant. There's only one small catch with the mango and it's a dry season flowering plant. So the dry season doesn't happen in New Zealand. We get rain all the year round at different yeah. times. And unfortunately, if the mango gets that uh, touch of rain while it's in flower or small fruit, it will drop them. And so you just lose your crop. Well, right. what's, the, what's the mechanism behind that, I wonder? Why, why does it why does it do Wrong that? Of Must the be, Wrong huh? time to year, I guess. But I don't know. It's just probably to coordinate. Um, its
0: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so it, it senses something and it thinks that it's time to do the next thing when it actually yeah. isn't. It's just rain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. get
1: you. So, so, so um, uh, what we would do is um, put a cover over a mango. And, and I know quite a few people who've got mangoes growing undercover, and uh, yeah, beautiful fruit. But no, I've done it commercially on a big scale yet that I'm aware of. It might be, mm. but, but again, you're in. saying it could be. It certainly could be. Nothing to stop us. And what's the value of mango? Oh, good. Um, well, put you on the spot per, there. <laughs> pay per fruit, and I'm trying to think what we paid. You can pay five dollars a fruit on a decent fruit. Yeah, yeah. And the tree's covered with them. <laughs> yeah,
0: there are plenty of um, people who grow things under cover, though. That's nothing new, is it?
1: it's not as as if you have to reinvent a whole new method. Yeah, it's thinking outside the square. And and one of those problems, of course, is we've got this lovely um, industry around biosecurity. And I'm not saying biosecurity isn't a threat to New Zealand. But if you take, for example, the National Animal Identification and Traceable Scheme, As far as I'm concerned, that doesn't do anything to help farmers whatsoever. I've spoken very strongly on this issue. How so then? Quickly explain. Okay, well, if you take some of the nasty diseases, which are mostly airborne, uh, like foot and mouth, putting an ear tag in a cow and telling you where it went is not going to help you one bit. It's the wind direction and where the herd is that is infected. Ah, I see. It's going to give you the answer. And so what they have at the moment is... Basically, every animal has to be recorded. Its movement has to be recorded. Um, and, uh, it's as much use as tits on a, on a ball for the <laughs> yeah. average farmer because you're yeah. running around, running after paperwork. You get fined if you get things wrong. And um, I'm actually really happy because my last cattle went off my property about a fortnight ago, and I won't be going near them again. I will get llamas. I'll get sheep. I'll get goats. I'll get something. But, uh, yeah, the amount of paperwork. Can Too much admin, eh? Too much admin. Yeah, but the thing is, it it could not stop a foot-and-mouth outbreak in New Zealand. Yeah, but they
0: they can control things, Hugh, with the the system.
1: It's all about control. It's nothing about... You know, actually preventing an illness. I mean, we've had situations where cows are running down the road. You get them, you scan them. You say tonight, oh, we found these cows. I, they might have changed their policy, but they say, oh, for the privacy act, we can't say who, who, who they. Who okay, they,
0: so there's no, not even any usable information that comes from the limited opportunity to use it. Okay, they're doing no. great, aren't they? Okay, well that's handy to know. Anyway, we, 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 so no, we've we're done mango. No, no, but you know it's all interesting. Um yeah. So we've done yeah. mango. Poor, I think I mentioned poor. Poor is that. Kind of the same as mango, the yep.
1: requirements? No, uh, no, 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 no. Pawpaw and um, you've got pawpaw, babaco, and uh, papaya. Okay, uh, they're okay. all highly related. Um, basically, the, the, the ultimate is the pawpaw is for taste wise, usually, then papaya, then um, babaco. But all of those can grow in New Zealand. Um, usually, undercover is best. But I'm actually growing um, some really good ones under totara trees. Funny enough, Totras normally don't like things growing underneath them and do their best to kill things off. But um, these plants are tropical plants. They have no problems with Totras. So they just, um, just grow and they grow happily.
0: Did you get permission to grow them under the Totra, Hugh? Did you
1: have to fill out a form for that? No, fortunately. <laughs> no, I have been told that if you um, propagate from seed, that's a no-no, but I'm not even going to go down that street. Hmm. It's just ridiculous. Well, it's nice that the pawpaw and the totara have a symbiotic relationship. And, would you believe, passion fruit. Now, you probably know that uh, uh, passion fruit um, come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, Um, and believe it or not, one of the best places I grow my passion fruit is straight up the totara again.
0: Oh, not again.
1: <laughs> examples. Yeah, I mean, there's a symbiotic relationship, and I don't get the psyllid on the passion fruit, which I do if I've grown on, in the open on a frame. Interesting. I'm just playing around, you know, and just experimenting. Yeah, that's it's amazing what you find, eh?
0: Amazing what you find. Yeah. Um, okay, have we missed any? Are there more? And if there are... Well, sugar, uh, cane. Sure, oh, sugar, sugar cane. Oh, sugar cane. Because well, I think of Fiji. Consider- I think of Fiji in Australia for sugarcane, I mean, and well, that's really hot. Thought-
1: yeah, when you consider we've got a sugar factory sitting in Auckland getting all its molasses in from Australia. Yeah. Well, we could be growing it here. In, and in it, the
0: quantity, again, in the quantity we, we need it for the consumption that's not? out there?
1: Why not? Um, I mean, seriously, we've got acres of land currently being used for dairying. I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing dairying, but, um, you know, we've got acres that you could make a damn sight more money a lot easier by planting and thinking outside the box.
0: And we're, we're keeping, we're not sort of forking out foreign exchange. And the, the the whole delivery system is is completely transformed, isn't it? There's no sea miles. Because I, I used oh, to live opposite on the other side of the harbour from the Chelsea sugar factory, and I saw the ships come in. And, you know, they're not small okay. ships. Okay. And those things, um, you know, they're coming across the Tasman all, all the time, burning bunker oil. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, let's face it. If you had lots of sugarcane, you could be producing lots of ethanol for your latest state-of-the-art vehicle.
0: You're a great salesman, Hugh, i got to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: no, yeah. actually, I've got to be honest. I have a still, you see, and that's why sugarcane and bananas and pineapples, they feed my still, and I create lots of ethanol.
0: Right. Okay, so been there, done that. There's just all these benefits, (laughs) and people should be, I reckon, talking about – well, we're talking about it now. I think a lot more people are going to talk about it after they listen to this. Okay, so where were we at? Uh, We've done sugarcane. Sugarcane. mangoes. Is anybody growing sugarcane in New Zealand right now?
1: Yeah, only small, limited amounts. I mean, the biggest plantation I know is just over an acre. Hmm. Okay, and that is feeding – The uh, needs of Fijian Indians who want to have um, the sugarcane juice as a drinking, because you run it through a crush and you can drink the juice and it's very tasty, very Very refreshing drink. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've got a few tons of it around. There's plenty of it growing. It grows extremely easy. There's different varieties and um, yeah, there's there's a demand there.
0: Again, it's. The, the old question, you can scale that to be... So, see, I think that a whole category of this as New Zealand subtropical fruit would... I think it'd be a winner if it was um, promoted and marketed in the right way and the supermarkets bought in, though they've probably got all sorts of deals with the you know, the traditional supplies. I'll be, and- I'll be
1: honest, Paul, the, the biggest problem we have is getting people to actually bind the technology and... Make it happen. Now, one of the interesting, uh, a good friend of mine down the road, he um, is a dairy farmer, and he thought, well, I'm interested and I'll give it a go. He's now planted out at least four, I think five, maybe more hectares of bananas. He sells his bananas on the local market and finds he can't meet that market. And he has now told Fonterra, well, I'm not renewing my contract. Oh,
0: gosh, I wonder if Fonterra (laughs) is going to see a bit of that in the future.
1: Well, I I mean, you consider, you know, how many hectares he has in production for a dairy farm with Mm. X amount of income, and he's already saying, well, we're actually making money out of these bananas, you know. (laughs) And selling
0: them and selling out locally. Yeah. And is the preference on price or is it because it's local as a factor as well in terms of? customers
1: the, 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 the main thing you have with locally grown bananas is one they can taste a heck of a lot better than the imported ones i mean seriously the flavors are excellent there's lots of different types of flavors and people's taste buds are all different but at the end of the day you've got one thousand five hundred plants per hectare you're going to get two bunches if you're farming properly so that's 20 kg per bunch you're going to sell it at two dollars a kg wholesale that means you're going to get 60000 per hectare of that. Farm. Wow. <laughs> it's way okay. better than dairy farming. Yeah,
0: and also with the pressure, oh. the pushback against dairy farming, which seems to be, again, political and also global. Um, if you yeah. wanted to, to get ahead of the game, that's one way of it's doing it. It's a no-brainer.
1: It. Yeah, yeah, it's a no-brainer. Um, I would also point out that you can sell the flour uh, the flowers, um, I don't know whether you know about bananas, but the first, they they produce, I think. Oh, no, I hard. don't. <laughs> OK, they have this monstrous flower bell. As it descends, it is female. Then it turns male. And when it turns male, it's useless. So we usually cut it off. But it's saleable. That male flower is used by vegans for um, a fish substitute you can deep fry it or for Asian type cooking, curries, you name it, it's edible. And so, we get usually at the market five dollars a flour. Crikey, okay. So, you buy right. 1500 by five, and you get two of those a year, and that's uh, you know, it's just an additional income,
0: yeah, yeah. It, it, finding value in every part of it is, is what that absolutely. is, absolutely. Okay, so we've uh, we got to sugar cane. Any before we um wind up.
1: Uh, any more that we should know about? I mean, there's plants like dragon fruit, which people are exploring and uh, and making happen. Um, I have I know little about that plant, but I do know a lot of people who c- c- tell me you should be, should have mentioned dragon fruit. So I'm going to mention dragon fruit. Okay, I've never heard of it before. Okay, it's a form of cactus that has a very large um, fruit. Well, I say very large? About the size of an orange, and um, a weird look to a weird appearance very tasty very now and then you'll see them in the supermarkets but it's most likely the asian shops so dragon fruit's a good one um literally- and, and there's a market here sorry there's a market here too because you know the
0: asian population is not insignificant so you, oh. you you've got a market Ooh. to cater for
1: right there paul i'm doing eco tourism mainly to asians I mean, I get a lot of, I get I get all sorts, but a heck of a lot of Chinese people, Malaysian people come and visit me just to see what I'm growing and to sample the fruits. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Okay. All right. So a lot to think about there and people I'm sure thinking, gosh, something has to be, a move has to be made here, uh, or at least some consideration of, particularly with the problem I, with dairy and everything like that, but the, all the commercial reasons to, you know, start cranking the handle.
1: Yeah, I think I think to be honest, Paul, we have the material, the plant material in the country, right? Um, we can fast track, um, as I say, pineapples and bananas were well well underway with those. It really needs people to make a commitment. We don't need government funding. Um, all our members to date have resisted government uh, overtures, um, mm-hmm. and for good reason. But <laughs> no, but you need you need a market and to we've got the
0: markets no no but to you need oh. to sell them at scale they have to the, the the product has to find its way into the supermarkets at yeah. s- the same scale let's say as as all the you know traditional varieties and wherever they're sourced from to compete well,
1: at, the, at the moment we can't meet the local farmers markets re- re- demands no. and we're getting premium prices So long may that continue for those who are actually doing it. Okay, realise that at a later date, um, then you'll have boutique. Um, I mean, if I talk, as I say, bananas is my speciality. But if I talk and say that at the moment, Missy Lukey is the most common Northland variety of bananas. Very tasty, hardy, easy to grow. But what if I said to you, have you tried a Pisang Raja? And you'd say... No, what's that? I'll say, well, here, try this. And you'll go, oh, wow, I'll have to buy those in future. So it's a bit like the Apple industry. You know, there's huge potential. So as soon as we meet anything, we can just fire off with another variety. But well, You can
0: imagine all those oh, all I'm those here. wealthy shoppers, uh, household shoppers, and Ponsonby and Hearn Bay and all those places. You could so easily sell this. Um, Trust as me, a, we, as do. A, we
1: do. No, no, I know. But, you yeah. know,
0: bigger, bigger to, to um, yeah. you know, really oh, compete totally. against the others. Um, yeah. I can imagine them all you know because it's a good look too
1: you know like hey look we're buying we're buying the what's, kiwi stuff. What's awesome though is the Cavendish has a very thick skin and is known to everybody as what they buy in the supermarket. Once they get onto the different types the New Zealand grown bananas, nobody wants a Cavendish anymore
0: right. It's really right?
1: hilarious. Um, yeah, it, you know, people buy them because that's what they're used to, but once they get a taste for the other ones, they don't go back.
0: That's why they're marketing different. is so important, you know, the framing yeah. of the marketing, uh, and uh, that can be very effective. Hey, it's been really interesting hearing uh, about this, you Yeah, no, I've learned a lot. And, you know, uh, the other thing it does is it disappoints me all the time because it's just another example of, of no common sense, You know, like you say, think (laughs) outside the banana patch. Uh, Where's all the, where's the pragmatic common sense gone?
1: Huh? Okay, Paul, there's one last thing I have to do to get you as a convert and see in the back of your office a nice banana plant, because there is some really good. Have you heard of the Royal Hawaiian? No. No. (laughs) Okay. One of those sold on Trade Me. I didn't sell it, but one of those sold on Trade Me a year ago. Guess how much one plant fetched? Tell me. Nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. One wow,
0: point. okay.
1: Well, one one of those would look really good in your office, and i have actually <laughs> fast track the breeding of those. So you oh. let me know, and we'll do you a good deal. Oh, but in, okay. meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, can you get someone to flick me a physical address, and I'll see if we can send you down some of our produce and see what you think of it.
0: No, um, you can do that. I, I'll get that done, and then I will report back if you don't mind me being honest. That's but you know, you went absolutely send me something fine. You've got to be honest,
1: mate. Yeah, yeah. I'll
0: I'll, I'll I'll give you my verdict. But um, that's the reality check. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the reality check we all need. We need the, the real thing. Um, okay, Hugh, again, Hugh Arose, tropical hey, fruit they growers.
1: Can
0: find in <laughs> <laughs> tropical fruit growers of New Zealand at tropicalfruitgrowers.nz. And there's plenty of, I've been looking at the website, plenty of information. And Hugh, it's been delightful chatting with you. Thanks for making some time for us. Most welcome, Paul. Catch up with you. Cheers. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.